to the All-American Podcast. I am Chantal Jennings, joined tonight by Nicole Auerbach and Max Olson. Happy early Thanksgiving to everyone who is tuning in for this very thankful edition of the All-American Podcast. And because we are so thankful for our listeners, we have done a one-week promo for everyone who listens. You can go to theathletic.com slash Podcast, one word, all lowercase, and you get a free week to start it off and then 25% Ooh. off the annual plan. Ooh. Ooh, that's like a great deal, Chantel. Wow. That's a great deal. And it's just in time for the holidays. So consider it for. And just in time for all of ones. our sweet, sweet playoff and coaching carousel and all that, uh, you know, hashtag content. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so consider content. that our plug for the week. And with that, we will get into the most important content, which is the fact that Max Olson spent all of today grocery shopping for Thanksgiving, which sounds like. <laughs> Probably the worst thing ever. You know what? I had to go to three stores. It was it was not Whoa. very well executed by me. Uh, Why? That well, just sounds like you weren't organized on the front end. No, I, there's something. There's a crisis going on here. Um, everyone was out of potatoes. It was very very concerning. No Is potatoes to be found. No rusted potatoes to be found. Um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if this is an Austin thing or a national thing, but I hope it's not a, a famine or an epidemic. <laughs> and based off, uh, was it two weeks ago? We know that mashed potatoes are in your top four for your playoff rankings for and now days. like until i discover some you know bounty of potatoes somewhere in the next two days i'm gonna have to eat uh you know box mashed potatoes which is just deeply shameful so i don't know what we'll, what we'll do over here well, well i personally like instant mashed potatoes i know that's weird. <laughs> we know that <laughs> you have told us that before and you like putting you like putting pepperoni in your mashed potatoes is that is that right no, pepperoni no, bread, bread is a separate, separate <laughs> entity. Um, by the way, the potato shortage is not in New Jersey. We have plenty of potatoes. So okay. if I ship one now, Max, I think it will get to you. Yeah, by next potatoes week. are like Just non-perishable. That sounds good. They Thank last you, Nicole. A long time. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Well, let's get into some college football content, you guys, because the playoff rankings came out Tuesday night, and we can all say. No big surprises there, minus Miami and Clemson. We can talk about that in a bit. But I'm sort of feeling like this playoff is going to work itself out pretty well just because the teams that are in the running, a lot of them still have to face one another. Mm -hmm. Max, are we sort of running to this inevitable, just easy last playoff ranking day for the committee? I'd like to think so. I, I like Ideally, in my head, the, the playoff that would be really enjoyable would be if you have the ACC champion and, and, you know, presumably Oklahoma as the two, three game, and then you have Alabama against basically to me, the best team available. That's what I'd like to see as as far as this playoff. But um, it seems like we're sort of rolling towards this kind of, this will play out in in a pretty expected way, but I don't know if, if, what if we get like an Alabama loss? What do we do do about that? What do we do about Alabama and Auburn or or Alabama and Georgia? If, uh, if we get an upset here, I think it's possible we're kind of overlooking uh, you know, that potential to really throw a, a huge wrench into all this. Well, that's the thing. And I, I think this does play out pretty simply if Alabama wins out, because then we don't have in one loss, Alabama potentially, you know, taking the Ohio state route and getting into the playoff without playing in the title game. You don't have the potential of a, a rematch and what happens if, mm-hmm. you know, Georgia and Auburn play again right. and also I think in that scenario if Alabama just moves out Wisconsin if they went out they get in that's that fourth spot so I think that that actually 
plays out really easily. And, and we already know, like Max, you said, if Oklahoma wins out, they're in. The ACC championship game is essentially a quarterfinal. Totally. So it really, I think, mm-hmm. comes down to Alabama, who is, I don't think, eliminated if they lose to Auburn or if they lose in the title game to Georgia. I think they're still going to stick around. So here's where I think it could get really dicey. Say Auburn beats Alabama by like a point or a field goal in the Iron Bowl. It's really close. These look like two teams that are just neck and neck. But then we get to the SEC title game and Auburn just rolls Georgia. Mm. So you have Mm. Auburn, which is a team with an SEC championship, two losses, but a lot of quality wins. And then you have Alabama, which only has one loss, no conference title, but still just one loss. And they still look like a really good team. Does the committee only pick one of those two teams out of the SEC or do does the SEC get two teams in them? Well, I think that's the scenario where that's the strongest case because otherwise you're going to have a loser of the SEC title game kind of be in the mix. Right. But what mm-hmm. happens if that happens? I think Auburn is for sure in. I mean, they're, they've been mm-hmm. the committee's top two loss team all along right. and they'd have plenty of good wins, great strength of schedule. What happens then if Wisconsin's undefeated? I don't think you could leave an undefeated Power 5 champ out to put Alabama in. But, you know, I don't know. Alabama's been in the playoff every year this has happened, so who knows. I, first of all, Chantal, to answer your question, I think if a one-loss Alabama is left out of the playoff, then Tide fans will burn down the playoff offices, and maybe, you know, <laughs> we'll have a whole new format next year. But I think the, the other potential chaos scenario, and maybe I'm wrong here, but what if – so what if Alabama and Oklahoma roll and they lock up their spots and mm-hmm. – Clemson and Miami play an incredible ACC title Ooh. game, and Ooh. Ohio State beats Wisconsin. Mm. What if it's ACC loser versus Ohio mm. State for that four spot? That could be interesting. I like that scenario. That's more interesting. That's new. That's different. Well, how far away? Okay, so the Pac-12 is just out in this scenario, right? Like, they're just too far. Chantel, too far? Yeah. I think so. I mean, Kirby Hokett at the end of his statements on Tuesday night sort of said, you know, we really respect USC. Mm. They've been playing well lately. You know, they're peaking at the right time. And I think the committee has to take into account the fact that they did not have a buy. And in their loss to Mm -hmm. Washington State on the road on a short week, they were out like three starting offensive linemen. But that loss to Notre Dame on the road, I, I don't think you can necessarily erase that from your memory. And it was late in the season, week eight. So... So wait, in this, in in any of these scenarios, is UCF sniffing the playoff? Like I, I, I don't think so, and I think that I feel really bad for UCF. No, it's kind of a bummer because, like, what else? What what are they supposed to do differently? You know, I mean, I, I guess they're supposed to play three Power Five non-conference games or four. I, is and that is that what the committee have, wants to see? I mean, well, and not have one get canceled because of a hurricane. Right. right. They right. should have really. I mean, I think Scott Frost probably could have done more about that hurricane. You know, just definitely. Like, Gone out there and fielded a defense to keep it off the shore. It, it bums me out. I mean, That's to, to see a three-loss Mississippi State team be ranked ahead of UCF in this ranking, that just because, no sense. just because SEC. Mississippi SEC. State has impressive losses, I guess was basically the the explanation. I, I don't like that. I get it that that it's important for Alabama and, and Auburn and Georgia to to strengthen their resumes, but. This game against USF, I, I think, is going to be really exciting, and, and I think a lot of people should be watching that game, but. It, it, it bums me out that UCF does not get the continues to not get the respect at, at any point in these rankings. I would just like to be a fly on the wall when the bowls are announced. Whatever coach realizes they have to face UCF after that team being disrespected all season by the committee, mm-hmm. and now Scott Frost probably has if, yeah if he's if, if he's, he's still there, there 
has a month or so, you know, whatever, to game plan, and some some poor team has to now deal you, with you that. You remember what happened when UCF went to the Fiesta Bowl against Baylor Ooh. not too long ago? They they brought the pain. So for anyone who didn't get a chance to check out the rankings, all you really need to know is the top 12 are the same except for Miami and Clemson switching spots. Miami moved up one with their win over Virginia. Clemson moved down one with their win over the Citadel. Kirby Hokett said that it was great how they came back. I don't know. To me, that sort of sounded like a weird explanation for something that to me didn't necessarily seem like it needed to happen. Biggest drop. Chantel, do you you think it's a Mm -hmm. makeup like that they should have been two, three all along. Does it matter? Like if well, you're two, no. three, <laughs> really. I guess it doesn't. I, I mean, I, I would have like, put them two last week. And so I, for that reason, I'm fine with it this week, but to say it's because of the way they beat Virginia, I don't, I mean, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that to me is just, I don't know. I think that's sort of weird. And also, yeah, I don't know. That just seems weird to me. Oklahoma state dropped six with their loss to Kansas state. That's fine. Inexplicable. That, that loss. Shout out to Bill Snyder. But let's stay in the state of Oklahoma. Kirby said that Wisconsin and Oklahoma were like neck and neck. Do we buy that? Because I don't. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I don't get that. I mean, just look at Oklahoma's resume. They have, you know, wins over Ohio State, TCU, Oklahoma State. Uh, Certainly, Wisconsin does not have wins anywhere near as close as impressive to that. Um, In fact, they don't have any wins over top. 20 teams like like that so no I, I i don't think they should be considered close it's not a surprise to me that the big 12 is not totally getting the respect it it, it probably should get from the committee that's kind of been consistent over the past few years but um I, I i get i get that wisconsin's undefeated but i don't think if you put these two teams on, on a neutral site it would be very close um, I actually would love to see that. I, I would really love to see Baker Mayfield and company go up against the Wisconsin's defense, which I believe is is one of the best in the country, sure. no matter who they play. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's going to be really interesting, especially once Wisconsin plays Ohio State and they have a shared opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Ohio State should be counting for more. It counted so much for Ohio State to beat Oklahoma last year. I mean, it literally got them into the playoff without playing in the title game and it's just kind of strange that Oklahoma's not getting nearly as much credit for for beating a really good opponent on the road in the power five it does feel like a long time ago doesn't it that OU Ohio yeah, State was game that, was that this season mm-hmm. yes it was it was that was this year but for some reason that that you know it was Oklahoma, this season and a life probably should get a little Actually, bit of credit for that one you know that was let, let's talk about Baker for a second because that was oh, one of his can we? apologies Jeez. Okay, that was the that was the what, what's going on with Baker? You have anything newsworthy going on with Baker? I am so sick of this outrage that people are having about yeah. this, and that it's going to affect his Heisman stuff. He's he made a stupid decision in mm-hmm. the heat of the moment mm-hmm. during a game. Come on, yeah, he, he, I I don't think it's going to affect the Heisman whatsoever. Our our straw poll every he got everyone's first place vote as he um, should. It's not it's not should. close this year. There's not a. There's not a well. I guess I don't like Baker, so it has to go to this person. He he's got that right. that that big of a gap, I think, in the lead. Well, and I think that everyone, even if you'd want to vote for a guy that you think, you know, has a great character, a great off the field. First of all, you don't know these guys. We don't. We are not with them twenty four seven, and we shouldn't pretend that we know who's a good guy or not. But even so, that's not how people vote. People vote for the most outstanding football player, the best football player. Uh-huh. And he, I think, by far is. I mean, I guess you could say Bryce Love might get some votes because there might be like some 
people who were really annoyed kind by of the Baker backlash Mayfield. to Baker Mayfield. Yeah, right. Yeah, but okay. So, so Max, what is the rea- like? Is is that why Lincoln Riley sort of like did what he did this week and suspend or not starting him and stripping him of his captaincy, like just to save face with some of those older Heisman voters? I mean, I think that there shouldn't be no consequences. So I kind of understand Lincoln Riley mm-hmm. trying to. Um, find a punishment that fits the quote unquote crime here. Um, and clearly like this is, this is senior day for, for Oklahoma. It, it means a great deal to Baker Mayfield that he's not the captain for this game, that he's not starting right. this game. It's already mm-hmm. in a very emotional day. And, and this punishment I think is clear to him. This is a significant punishment and I think he's going to take it seriously and there should be some consequences, but I, I, the outrage I can't, I can't hang with. I think it's, some of it's predictable. Like if you already didn't kind of like Baker Mayfield, then this right. is exactly what you expected. Um, and, and he never should have apologized for the flag planning in the first place. I'm just gonna throw that right. in there. But yeah, um, separate issue. Totally, totally separate issue. I, 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 he did a dumb thing. It didn't outrage me. I think Kansas did some dumb things that day too, that they've had to apologize right. for as well. Yep. Um, but I, I'm, it's Baker Mayfield, so I'm not surprised that this story has carried on for, for four days or whatever. My just my thought on this is that, you know, I appreciate a coach trying to take a stand and saying, you know, these certain things aren't appropriate. We're not going to stand for it. That's great. Mm-hmm. I would like to see every coach who has a player who decides to go for a late hit or take a cheap shot um, that isn't caught on camera necessarily come out and apologize and not start that player and strip them of their captaincy because it just sort of seems like, you know, where, where is it on all sides, especially the football side of it, when you have a guy who is going to be an idiot and go in for a stupid hit, mm-hmm. make that kid apologize then too. You know, well, where's I, the outrage I, over that? You know, one thing that bothered me in this faux or real outrage backlash to Baker is that people were like, either own it and don't apologize all the time or stop doing these things. And I, again, the flag planting, he shouldn't have apologized for, I thought that he seemed really genuine in how he felt about kids and parents watching the game with their kids and seeing what he did on the sideline. But to me, I, I don't I, I don't get that. I mean, every coach wants a fiery, competitive guy. There are a lot of people who like that Baker Mayfield has personality and is a competitor, mm-hmm. and this is the way he plays. Every slight motivates him. And I don't really think you can enjoy that aspect of him and then be annoyed that he's – you know, apologizing or, or doing things that are showing that he was bothered by what he thought was dirty play from Kansas. And, you know, I don't think people will believe me when I say this, but in, in, in being around that Oklahoma program and talking to Baker Mayfield, like off the field, that guy is actually a pretty mature young man and actually a a good leader and a smart guy. And I know that he's done some dumb things, uh, that, that have kind of created this reputation for him, but, um, I, when when I hear people say he's Johnny Manziel 2.0, I get mm. the I get the on field comparison. I, I think that he has an ability that that very few guys do um, in terms of his creativity and his skill. But the off field stuff that it bugs me when I hear that because it, it's just flat out wrong. Well, moving away from some player drama, let's talk some coaching drama because the coaching let's. carousel has heated up since the last time we were on the All American podcast. Um, Chip Kelly, UCLA or Florida, as of Tuesday night, um, sort of looks like those are the two schools going after him the hardest. There's also news that a report that Texas A&M plans to fire Kevin Sumlin after the LSU game, so that'll be another high-profile opening. Uh, 
Nicole, where do you stand? Florida, UCLA, what is the quote unquote better job? Well, I think it depends on the person. And I think that from everything I know about Chip Kelly, you've got to go with UCLA because part of the appeal of a job like that is that you are not the main attraction in town. And much like I, you know, I feel like Chip to a certain extent, but when we had this conversation with Chris Peterson, when he was still at Boise State and he was getting attached to every open job, there were a lot that didn't make a lot of sense because of his personality and how low profile he likes to be. And so that's why Washington's been such a great fit for him. And so I think that UCLA football, you have that opportunity too. Like it's probably not in the top five things to do in LA. And I think that that would be, I mean, I would put the beaches. I would put, you know, there's like, there's, it might not be in the top 10. That's why I might laughed. not be sure. it might not be top I was, 10. I was, you can be a little <laughs> bit more generous, Nicole. I was overrating UCLA football. I apologize. Potentially, yes. Um, but so I just think that in Florida, it's more of a, you know, a fishbowl. Um, you know, Jim McElwain won the East twice and still had a lot of issues there. And there was a lot of disgruntled fans. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. if recruiting is equal, you're in, if you're in two good recruiting areas, great are, recruiting areas, great yeah, recruiting sure. areas, you know, I would take the one with a little less pressure and a better league that you can kind of probably make your mark faster in. So I would go UCLA. I would actually agree with you on that, Nicole. I spoke with a bunch of coaches this week after the Mora news, and it was funny because I was talking with them and I was like, this is going to sound like a crazy question, but is the UCLA job a good job? And everyone was like, kind of paused. I spoke with multiple coaches who had the exact same re- reaction. They paused, kind of thought about it and then went. Dot, dot, dot. Well, yeah, recruiting. Mm. Yeah. You know, you're, you're in LA. Mm. And if and programs are built on who you bring into the program. And so the players are there in, in Los Angeles, in the state of California. You don't have to go anywhere. The problem with UCLA, and it wasn't just a Jim Mora problem, you know, they haven't won for quite a while. Their last conference championship was 98. Like, USC has won multiple national titles since UCLA won a conference title. And so mm-hmm. you're competing with this team that has so much recent dominance, and I think that's something that might appeal to Chip Kelly. And the fact that the conference right now is sort of in a weird trying to find itself stage, I almost think. Like, being left out of the playoff again, there's going to be some soul-searching about what it needs to do, and I think Chip could see it as, I can come in and I can I can change this. I can change the South. I can change the dynamic. Um, I, think that, I think that would be something he'd want. Well, and he knows the conference, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's no way around that. Obviously, things have changed a little bit since he left Oregon, but... Um, I, I think that UCLA makes more sense for him, um, relatively equal to me. And, um, Mm -hmm. certainly I think you have to kind of consider the situation in the SEC East, which I know is often made fun of as not being that competitive, but Georgia is really building something. Um, seems that it's going to be a a real power here to stay. Um, obviously Miami and Florida state, Florida state's a little down right now, but Miami has built something uh, really impressive in the state of Florida, um, that you have to compete with. I think UCLA, you kind of get to go and do your thing and, and people will give you time and be patient and be excited about your brand of football, you know? So, um, and, and I've, I've, from recruits I've talked to over the years, they say, you know, even, even kids here in the state of Texas, they love going out to visit UCLA. It's, it's an incredible experience. And um, I think he's not going to have a hard time attracting uh, really high caliber players there that can, that really fast guys that can run his system. Well, so, so here's, I just have two quick points. And, and mm-hmm. one is that, I think Florida, if they don't get Chip Kelly, 
And plus there's going to be more openings in the SEC. Right. Yeah. I think that there's going to be a lot of fan bases in this coaching cycle that aren't going to get like a home run hire, like a a Chip Kelly. And I think that that's something that if you don't win the sweepstakes, if he does want to come back to college and you don't get him, you have Mm -hmm. to kind of recalibrate your fan expectations, which I think is going to be really difficult at Florida. Um, My other point, and this is actually more of a question for for you, Chantel, uh, does – does it matter that Chip Kelly has the past he does that he got a show cause? Like, would that be something that UCLA or anyone really wouldn't want to deal with his NCAA past? Nicole, I think that's, I just don't necessarily see that being a huge deal. I haven't spoken with anyone at UCLA about that per se. At the end of the day, I think what will make the decision Florida, UCLA, or, you know, someone else that jumps in, is money. Who's going to open their pockets the deepest for Bidding Chip Kelly? More. I know. Money. It's going to get fun. But I, they're already I, paying more. They're, they're willing to spend, it seems, UCLA, if they which end is up winning. Not, and that's not something they've done in the past. That's why yeah. everyone said Jim Moore is safe. No one's going to – $12 million buyout. This isn't going to happen. And then it did. And so I think maybe there is going to be a little bit more urgency to find someone that's worth it for that big of a paycheck. And, and I agree with you, though, Nicole. Like, if – with all of these early rumors swirling about Chip Kelly to Florida, what if they just go out after that and get some sort of like, well, he's a good hire. That's all right. You know, fans are going to be devastated. I think that's going to be the case with a lot of these coaching searches because you look at the landscape here, there's not that many group of five coaches who I think are, are kind of held up as these, you know, rising superstars. There's Scott Frost. Mike Norvell's name has been mentioned for a lot of these jobs. I'm sure mm-hmm. Charlie Strong will be interested in some of these jobs. But I think – for, for a lot of these programs, and, and, and it kind of leads me to, to think about Texas A&M, you know, they're, they want to shoot for the stars. They want to try and steal Jimbo Fisher from Florida State. If you don't do that, if you're unable to pull that off, and, and remember Jimbo Fisher turned down LSU twice in the last two years, and that supposedly should have been his dream job. If mm-hmm. you can't get your dream hire, whether you're Florida, whether you're UCLA, whether you're Texas A&M, you're going to be left with a pool of candidates that I think will be good and, and successful, but they're not – so far and above better than the guy you already have. Yeah, I think the A&M situation is really interesting because especially throughout the season, because they didn't have like a really bad season. Mm -hmm. So it was like up and down based on results, whether or not he was on the hot seat or if it was hotter or not. Max, what what do you make of the report that he is going to be fired either way after Saturday's game? I think some of A&M's struggles this season were were sort of predictable. I mean, Miles Garrett and a lot of really talented players moved on. Um, you had Trevor Knight move on and you were going to be breaking in a new quarterback. And obviously that, that quarterback situation has been a little bit up and down this year. Um, I, I think it's one of those deals where even if AM doesn't totally have their guy lined up, they're just ready to move on. And I think the fan base is ready to move on. And, and I'm guessing Kevin Sumlin's probably ready to move on. And I think he'll have an opportunity, whether it's a job like a UCLA or some, somewhere else in the Pac-12, I think he's mm-hmm. going to land in a nice spot here uh, when this thing is all said and done. But I think it's a, a matter of, you know, uh, he, he's a good coach who raised the expectations at A&M right away uh, in, in 2012 with Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans and, and that extremely talented team. And then the, he set the bar so high, and, and then A&M uh, had a bunch of seasons that, that didn't exceed that and, and was not able to, um, you know, he recruited at a high level, but some of his classes after that big 2012 year didn't totally pan out. And um, I think it's a matter of A&M believing that, they need to be competing with Alabama and LSU, and, and no matter what the cost may be, um, they feel like they need to make a change and, and take a big swing here. Well, I think this is a good 
a good time to move into some reader questions and some listener questions specifically because we have questions about coaching searches. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry to Jordan D who actually asked about A&M. Uh, he's curious who will be A&M's next coach though. Anyone want to throw out some names? I don't think it'll be Jimbo Fisher. I mean, I'd be surprised. I understand that, that it, that's easy to latch onto that as, Oh, we got a chance because Florida State had a bad year and Jimbo mm-hmm. Fisher's made some complaints here and there over the course of the season. And, you know, how much money is too much money, basically. But um, I think that I'm fascinated to see how that one plays out because if it's not Jimbo Fisher, you know, is the fan base going to be happy with a Chad Morris or something like that? I, I don't know that they would. Um, and I'll just point out real quick there was a midseason report about um, James Franklin. And I think that that, yeah. there, there are a lot of factions at, Penn State and I think Uh that was just fed by the faction that wants James Franklin out and that's been a faction since he was hired Hmm. Interesting. so I would also personally be surprised about that he also just got a contract extension I do think Joe Moorhead is offensive coordinator is going to be a candidate for some of these jobs he's kind of the hot coordinator even though their their offense sputtered the Uh second half of this year so that's a name I would keep in mind um but I just I don't see Franklin to to text and maybe I'll be wrong but I just at this point it's probably an example of them trying to tell everybody look we got a blank checkbook here we're we're gonna really make a move for a a five-star coach and uh, I'm fascinated to see if if they can do that obviously they have a lot of resources and, and great facilities and all the stuff you need to be successful there but the expectation isn't to be successful like Kevin Sumlin wanted. It's the expectation is to compete for national titles. And, and I'm not sure who they can go out and get that is going to do that right away. I think it'll be interesting. We've talked a lot about how there aren't necessarily as many group of five coaches that we see being these rising stars. But there are a lot of good coordinators out there. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of schools, even if they don't make that Chip Kelly hire, that could make a really, really good hire. And I hope that fans can see past the sort of glitz of that, I know that most of the time you just want that big name, but you know there are a lot of really good coordinators in the game right now, and maybe they're not going to be the hire you want to see necessarily, but I think they could be the right hire. Uh, but let's keep it in the Big 12 because we actually have another question, Max. Mm. Drew Borsellino is curious, your gut feeling, will Cliff Kingsbury be the head coach at Texas Tech next year if they lose against Texas this weekend? I am concerned about the Texas Tech situation. Um, you know, Kirby Hoka came out a couple weeks ago and, and was very supportive of where they're going, but he said he was looking forward to them finishing out the season strong. Um, they just laid an egg last week at home against TCU, a TCU team missing Kenny Hill. Um, if they lose to Texas, then they will not be going to a bowl game for the third time in four years. And, um, you know, Cliff has done a great job at a lot of things, but it's been a 500 program for the most part throughout his tenure there. So it's a huge game for Texas Tech. Um, I, I think the problem there is a lack of real clear home run hires. There, I don't know who's out there mm-hmm. that everyone is going to rally around as saying, oh, that's absolutely who the next coach of Texas Tech should be. So right. Kirby Hocutt, who's obviously a very busy man, I think is in a tough spot here. And I'm sure is, is rooting for Texas Tech to win and to go to a bowl and to make that decision maybe a little bit easier that maybe we don't have to make a change. Because I don't think he wants to make a change. Well, that's what I'm I'm interested in because there are a ton of responsibilities with a selection chair that, especially with the early signing period happening this year, we're seeing these changes being made like with a week to go or two games to go because they want to get a leg up with that signing period starting and to talk to some of these coaches. So I... I know there's been years where the basketball selection committee chair had a situation. I'm thinking about LSU and Johnny Jones a couple years back 
where they probably needed to make the change, but I think it's just so hectic at the end of the season. You have so many responsibilities. You're not on campus that it's really mm-hmm. difficult to do. So yeah, I remember the Oregon situation last year, how that kind of goofed up their timing a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think that could be actually a, an important factor to keep in mind with Kirby Hogarth. Well, and I think, and then on top of that, you go back to Texas A&M and you wonder how that impacts the Texas tech job potentially, because then you're not, you're not the best job even in that area. You're not the best job in that state, I don't think. Sure, and sure. I went back, actually. You guys know the last time Cliff beat a top 25 team at Texas Tech? 2013, his first season. Hmm. They have gone 2-18 and 18 against top 25 teams. Yeah, yeah, it's a problem. Chantel, yeah. Chantel, but have you heard that Jim Harbaugh is one in six versus AP top 10 teams? I've heard yeah. that stat about 100 times this week. Yes, there are a lot of stats <laughs> out there running around about all of these <laughs> sorts of things. All right, let's do one more college football question from a listener, and then we'll move on to some food questions because, you know, the All-American podcast loves itself some food we're, questions. We're a pro-food yes. podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you spent the whole day grocery shopping, Max, so we obviously <laughs> know. Did. The podcast loves food. All right. Viking Style wants to know, forget records and the championship. What are five bowl matchups that you'd love to see or cover this year? Let's simplify it. Let's just do one apiece. Is there any bowl matchup? We don't have to specify the bowl. I think let's just talk personality, personnel. What bowl matchup do you want to see this year, Nicole? Um, I'm going to go with one that was actually in our colleague Stuart Mandel's bowl projections this week. Um, And it's TCU Penn State. Mm. I think that would be, especially if Joe Moorhead is still there for the bowl prep, mm-hmm. giving him a month to prepare for a Gary Patterson defense, I think is really intriguing. Plus, we've got the storyline of Saquon Barkley has had his second half of the season to forget. Mm-hmm. And I yep. would be fascinated True. to see him and Trace McSorley go up against a really great defense um, in an offense that's more than capable of keeping him in a game. So I, I really like that, and I kind of hope – that's definitely on the table as a possibility, and so I'm actually really hopeful that we'll get to see it. You know, another one that, that I think Stu has had circled for a couple weeks here that I would love to see is Stanford-Michigan. I, I want to see the Jim Harbaugh Bowl. I want to see Bryce Love and that offensive line against uh, Don Brown and, and that Michigan defense, which I know they're not in contention to win the East, obviously, this year, but they've still played great defense throughout the year, and uh, – I think that would be a really fun matchup, and, uh, you know, who, who doesn't love when we can talk about Jim Harbaugh, you know, even more? Uh, so I'm actually going to stay on that topic a little bit, and mine is purely selfish. This is okay. not going to happen, but you know if this matchup happened, every sports writer in the country would be clamoring to cover it. Mm. Michigan, Washington State. Mostly Ooh. because can you imagine when they put both of the coaches at the podium at the same time, if they do that at a bowl, depending mm-hmm. on what bowl you're at, but – Jim Harbaugh and Mike Leach together on a podium being asked questions. Oh, it would just be like a sports writer's dream. You have so much, so much to write about. Can I one-up you here? What if if we got a Washington State FAU matchup? Yeah, I don't really want that one. No. I I would allow you to cover that. But if Michigan slash Jim Harbaugh and Mike Leach and Washington State were playing, I would want to cover that. Today, I actually saw a video. Mike Leach gave like three minutes of advice toward men who were – going to be engaged to be married and mm. uh, there are a lot of stereotypes in there but in a very mike leach fashion um well-intentioned you know, i'm sure rambles and rambles and rambles and it was pretty good so if you're getting married soon check that out all right let's move on to some food ones friend yes. of the podcast Stuart douglas who nicole and i actually 
both covered at Michigan. He's a former Michigan basketball player. All right. Asked a very important question, one that I think we should ponder for a while, but we'll try to answer on the podcast for you today. I'm so glad. Better dunking cookie. Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say, I'm so glad he chimed in. I think this was a really vital question. Yes, obviously, this is a vital question. And take as much time as you need to ponder this, but attempt to answer this important question for our listeners. Better dunking cookie, Oreo or Chips Ahoy, Max? I'm not a milk drinker. <gasps> Big confession. I'm not a milk drinker. But, really? But I'm an Oreo eater, uh, and I okay. like I like the uh, the peppermint Oreos from Trader Joe's, so I'm going to go with Oreos. I you don't also... drink any milk? Hold on. We can't move on from this right away. No. Like, you don't, you don't drink any milk? You I mean, I'm not like, somehow. I'm not like lactose intolerant or anything, but no, I've never been like a drink a cup of milk kind of person. Oh. Okay. Well, I, I don't know how many people do that in adulthood. <laughs> Maybe Chantel does. I'm not sure. Yes, I think that's probably true. Um, yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, I will go, I think the easy answer here is Oreo. Right. And I will sure. say that Stu did get a funny, uh, well, a very intriguing option as like a dark horse here, Girl Scout cookies, mm. which I mm. think are kind of a dark horse here, depending on the type of cookie. So let's uh, let's not talk about dunking since it is, I guess, Girl Scout cookie season. Just what's your guys' favorite? This isn't even a listener question. I'm just curious. Nah, what's your I go-to mean, Girl Scout? Thin mints without, without thin a question. Mints? So yeah. okay. it's, it's um, Carmel Delights, which I actually just found out recently are also called Samoas. They were called... Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Carmel Delights in the great state of New Jersey. So I don't, there's a couple others that have weird names. So th- those were always my favorite. I can eat, I could go through a box in one sitting. I like the Samoas as well. I also, I love Thin Mints, but you have to freeze them. Mm. In the freezer. Cold it's Thin really Mint. Good. Cold Thin Mint's a good play. I like that. Mm-hmm. Life hack. We are very good at talking about food. All right. Well, let's move from cookies to pies, uh, which is a, a very, a good transition. Carter Williams, who is actually KSL.com writer. Uh, is curious to know if we are able to construct a one through four Thanksgiving pie playoff bracket. Ooh. Can we ag- mm. all agree at least that pumpkin is number one? Sure. Yeah. yeah. For the purposes okay. of this discussion, right. let's let's agree. Pumpkin's yes. number one. Are we putting we apple number together. two? I think apple's a good number two. I would two. say apple's number two. All right. Are you guys cherry pie fans? I love cherry pie. At Thanksgiving? But, at, yeah. I like cherry pie. Have... We can... Let's make it. We okay. that I only put it at a four. I okay. And I think like, it in like my pecan head. or pecan pie at, at three. I think that's fair. Yeah. Are there any other pies that we're forgetting here? Mm-hmm. That was a little easy. I know that, that was easier than I so thought then, it would be. And then is pumpkin just gonna win through? Like pumpkin's just gonna win, right? Yeah. Thanksgiving. According I mean, it's to my pumpkin father, versus apple. unless you have Thanksgiving. I mean, it's pie. it's pumpkin versus apple in the final. I I'm a fan of. Um, you know, silver of each. That's that's kind of my policy with that. Um, I, I like both. I guess I guess the popular vote would go pumpkin, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think pumpkin with like a little bit of whipped cream. I think that's the one. Yeah, you gotta have something there. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's to be fair, I think this is the this most. Would, that was like not debatable. Good job. Well, no, I think I, what I was thinking is it gets debatable if we were to go away from Thanksgiving because I think part of the allure of a pumpkin pie is that you only eat it at Thanksgiving. Like you're not eating that in June. Sure, but, but Chantel, we all we all agreed on something. This is like I know first in podcast this is history. impressive. Maybe <laughs> next week we can circle back and just do a one through four pie in general bracketology mm. type okay. thing. All right, all right, deal. Well, I think that wraps it up for us. Now you know our thoughts on cookies, pie, and also I guess football because that's why we're here. Yeah, there's you some will football be able talk. to join. Yeah, there was some. 
You'll be able to join me, Max, and Nicole next week on the All-American Podcast, and you can read our and our colleagues' work all week long at theathletic.com slash all-american. We have some great stuff up there this week. We'll be talking about the playoff all week, even on Thanksgiving, but try to find some time to enjoy your friends and family on that day. Happy Thanksgiving from everyone at the All-American. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.